G'day and welcome to the City on a Hill podcast. I'm Guy, Senior Pastor of City on a Hill, a movement of churches across Australia united around the central mission of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Whether you're on your morning commute or sitting down with a warm cup of coffee, I hope this message fuels your faith, hope and love. And while we're here, let me encourage you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. You can do that by heading to cityonahill.com.au. God bless. Look forward to connecting soon. We will now move into uh, the Bible reading today. So if you do have a Bible handy, uh, turn to chapter 18 of Luke. Luke 18, and we'll be reading verse 1 to 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Josh. Good morning, everyone. The last of the parables. Um, would you pray with me and for me as we open that together? Father, we come into your presence and we ask that you would speak through your word. We pray, Lord, that you would stir up our hearts, you give us sharp minds. But Lord, that as we, we look to you, may we hear what it is you want to speak to us this morning and we ask it. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, this is how it goes, isn't it? Uh, if you're a Christian person, you believe in God, you have a relationship with God, and you are presented with something that's challenging or difficult in your life, and you go to God and you speak to Him, which is what Christians call prayer. You talk to Him about it, and because He's your loving Father, He answers your prayers and He changes the situation. That's how it works, isn't it? Many times, yes. Uh, I've been a Christian now for, for decades, not as long as some of you, but more than others of you. And uh, in that time of, of following Jesus, I have seen many, many examples where exactly that happens. Uh, when I first became a Christian, I was 17 years old, I was in an athletic squad. I, pl- I prayed for my running coach who had no discernible connection or interest in God. I pray that he might come to know Jesus. Two weeks later, it happened. Um, I prayed uh, when I was in school. It was very difficult. I was copying a lot of um, resistance for becoming a, a Christian. Like that, that was uh, a difficult time in my life in many ways. And I prayed and said, God, please help me. Help me be strong and give me courage because I'm, I'm frightened and it's difficult. And God answered extravagantly. Uh, I went to the army and I prayed that God would help me in army basic training. And he did. I prayed for my two roommates that they might become Christians. And they did. 
like answered prayer after answered prayer. And it's not just at the beginning, although sometimes it seems to be particularly at the beginning of our Christian walks that God does this. But I prayed, coming, leaving the army, coming back to Geelong in fear, saying, Lord, build up this new community that doesn't exist. There's just a handful of us. Do something so that there'd be a new church community in Geelong that would shine your light. Prayed, God answered. He did. He's a good God. He answers prayers. I remember vividly, um, those of you who've been around a while, some of you will remember meeting in one of the stands at what was then Simmons Stadium, GMHBA Stadium today at Cadinia Park, and getting the news that our stand was being demolished and we had nowhere to meet anymore, and praying, Lord, where are we going to meet on Sundays? And I'm vividly praying at, my, um, at the desk where I was praying, God, please help. And at that moment, I got the call from the, rec- the vicar at that time of St. Matthew's, saying maybe there could be a partnership between our churches. We, you pray, God answers. Um, if you're not a Christian here to morning, this morning, you're going like, I don't know if I've experienced that. But if, you, if you're a Christian, I would, I'd hesitate to um, be pretty certain, in fact, that there have been times when that exactly has happened for you. You've cried out in desperation about a situation and God has provided an extraordinary answer, which others might go, it's just coincidence. You know it was God. But what about when it doesn't? What about when you pray and nothing seems to happen? What about when you pray to your loving Father and not only does nothing seem to happen, the opposite that you prayed seems to happen? What about when you pray for someone in your life or in your family who's who's got a a really difficult sickness or an illness, and you pray for healing in Jesus' name, but the person gets worse or even dies. What about uh, people in your life? Maybe if you're a parent or a grandparent, you pray for your your children or grandchildren. You pray things for them in, in desperation and faith, but you don't seem to see any answers. In fact, it just looks like it gets worse. Or maybe there's someone in your life who you've journeyed closely with and they have walked closely with Jesus at one time in their lives, but now they're turning away, they're slipping away. And you're crying out to God to, to stop that, to bring them back to himself. And you say, Lord, this is a prayer according to your heart, isn't it? But all you can seem to see is that they continue on that journey. You ever been there? Yeah, I think most of us have. I have. Even recently, praying to God about a situation that was dear to my heart and seeing the opposite of what I prayed. It hurts and it's hard. And the question is, well, what do we do when that happens? Some people might say, oh, your faith is not strong enough. If you just believed more, then God would have provided those answers. Or some people might say, actually, there's sin in your life somewhere that's blocking that connection between you and God. Or or we wonder, is is it just that God's email inbox is too big? It's too full right now. And I've been put into the action later folder. Uh, Is it that maybe God's not interested in me anymore? He's angry at me. He doesn't hear. Or it's even in our deepest doubts, we say, well, God, are you even real? I'm asking for you for something from deep in my heart and you're not giving me the answers that I long for and seek. What do you do with that? Well, we come to this morning, don't we? And the good news is Jesus tells a parable. I think he focuses on those very same things. 
It's a parable uh, in the last of our parable series, but I think it's a parable that speaks to us each individually, not only individually, but to us as a church community. It helps us understand what to do when these things happen. And there's, I've broken this into, into three segments uh, this morning. I want to look first at the context in which Jesus tells the parable, and I will look at the great encouragement. I want to spend most of our time there. And then I want to finish with the question that Jesus asks, and then Think about how that question applies to us as a church community. So three things, the context, the the encouragement, and finally the question. So the context, Luke 18, verse 1. Then then Jesus told his disciples a parable. Uh, The word then suggests there's a connectivity with what's immediately come before in chapter 17. This flows on from what happens in Luke chapter 17. What happens in Luke chapter 17? Well, Jesus has just opened his heart in a way that's similar to recorded Matthew 25 with some of the other parables we've looked at. He opens his heart about what is happening in the future, what is coming. So in 17 verse 22, Jesus says, The time is coming when you'll long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. The time is coming when when, men will tell you, there he is or here he is. Don't go running after them. The time is coming, chapter 17, verse 24, when the day of the Son of Man will be like lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. The time is coming, in verse 26, when as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. The time is coming, verse 28, when the day of the Son of Man will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. People were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting and building But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. The time is coming. Jesus says, verse 34, when I tell you two people will be in bed, one will be taken, the other will be left. The time is coming, Jesus says. And with these words still ringing in the disciples' ears, he tells them this parable. And this is the context of which Jesus gives us this parable. It doesn't come in a vacuum. It's the context of Jesus' return. And Jesus says, I've gone away. I'm coming back. In that period before I come back, I'm going to tell you a parable to teach you something important about what you must do in that time until I come back. I've got something to say about prayer while you wait for that future event of my return. And it's something that you need to hear. So so that's the context of Jesus telling this parable. Now, the great encouragement. And it is a great encouragement. Let's look with with me and see. Because verse one, then Jesus tells them a parable. And it goes like this. There was a poor migrant worker uh, working as a cleaner for a a big multinational in the city. And one day she's, she's cleaning late and one of the senior management is staying late as well. And it's just the two of them in the office space. And he uses his power to make a move on her. She's horrified and she resists and she, she refuses his advances. He's humiliated and he sacks her on the spot. Don't bother coming back. And she said, but, but my kids. I said, do I care about that? Don't come back. The next morning, she, she, well, the next afternoon, she goes to clean her shift as normal. And she's told, no pass, no welcome, you haven't got a job. 
The day after, she, she fronts up and she wants to speak to the chief executive officer. Somehow or other, she gets through the, the EA protection and she arrives in the office and she pleads her case. She tells about the unfair dismissal. She tells about the, the abuse of, of justice. And he's like, do you think I care? You're a cleaner. You're from another country. G go and put this case to the unfair dismissal and see how you go. You can hardly even speak the language. Get out and don't come back. And then he berates his EA for even letting her get into the office. But the next morning, as a Range Rover pulls in to the office building, there she is on the street calling out to him. Give me justice. The day after, when he's having his corporate lunch, sitting in the fine restaurant, there she is, tap, 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 tap on the window. Then he goes to tee off on the first hole on Saturday morning with his cronies, and, and there she is, calling out to him, give me justice. And, and finally, after a few weeks of this, he calls in his ear and he says, look, I don't give a stuff about that woman. She's a cleaner. Who cares? i got bigger fish to fry than her. But go and find out what she wants and make it good because I never want to see her face again. And then Jesus says, he says this, verse 6, And the Lord said, listen to what the unrighteous judge says. Jesus says, listen to that unrighteous judge, what he says after the persistent widow's nagging. Why? <laughs> Why? Is, is Jesus saying that God is like the unjust judge and that he's got to be badgered and nagged into doing what is just right? Is Jesus saying that God needs to be worn down by persistent nagging in order to, to hear prayers from his people? No. Of course not. And that's actually the point, as we'll see. God is not like the unjust judge. The persistent widow got the results she wanted from the unjust judge. And the point is, God is not like the unjust judge. So how much more will you get what you need and you want from a righteous judge? Uh, Jesus, earlier in Luke's gospel, has it's, not, it's kind of a parable, but it's not really a parable. He's told another one to help people, help his followers, his disciples, understand what this looks like. So in Luke chapter 11, he tells them a story and he says, I tell you, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil... Know how, to good give, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See Jesus' point? He's saying like, we dads, and if you're a dad, you know this, you love to give, give good gifts to your kids. You just do. They're your children. You love them. You want to give them good gifts. And Jesus says, even though we dads were all messed up and evil, got tons of stuff going on in our hearts. We know how to bless our kids. God's point is, how much more does God know how to bless his kids? How much more does a loving father know who knows what his children need even before they ask him, how much more does he want to bless them? And Jesus is saying, he wants us in this parable to see if 
if the persistent widow got justice from the unrighteous judge, how much more when you and I come to a loving, perfect, heavenly Father, how much more will he answer our prayers? You haven't got an unjust judge that wants you to buzz off. You've got a sympathetic father. He's engaged with you. You know, sometimes I think when we think we're praying, we're, you know, God's like doing something else and we go, hey, hey, I need some help here. Stuff's going on. No, but the Bible speaks about Jesus's, you know, that moment, maybe you date when you're dating, you know, and, <laughs> and you just, you're locked in. You're sympathetic. You're wanting to hear. Or, or maybe if you're a father or a mother and, you, and your child comes to you and, and something's happened and it, it's traumatic or it's difficult and you're locked on, you're sympathetic, you're leaning forward. You're wanting them to speak to you. and re- that's, what Jesus, that's what Jesus says God is like. And don't miss verse seven. And will not God give justice, listen to this, this word, to his elect? Elect who cry out to him day and night. You are, according to Jesus, if you're a Christian, you are his elect, his chosen ones. Now, now this word election, along with predestination, others, it, it, it gets us wrapped around the axles sometimes. We think about, well, what about those who are not elected? And what about those who are not chosen? How's that fair? And how does God do it? And how does he, do they, does he know in advance what people choose? How, how does it all work together? And, and theologians write this, and there's tons of books on it. But often we miss the important, beautiful, positive side effect of it. That is, if you are, if you are one of God's people saved through Jesus, you are elect. He chose you. Of all the people in the world, he chose you. If you're a Christian here this morning, most of us are, if you're online and you're a follower of Jesus, you are elect, you're chosen. It's beautiful. He chose you. You didn't choose him. We often think that. No, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You're elect. And then you think about what that election cost. What did did the election, your election, cost God the Father? Well, Scripture tells us it cost him everything he had to give. Because you were not chosen because you're somehow better or you're somehow more together or you're somehow smarter or you're somehow more spiritually attuned and that you chose God when all the rest of the people around you were were not smart and not spiritually tuned in. So you somehow went like, yeah, like I'm worthy to be chosen. No, the Bible says you were a sinner. When you were a sinner, Christ died for you. Hear those words? Christ died for you. You are elect and chosen by God and to make that a possibility, he sacrificed his own son. Your blood spattered. The the blood of his precious son, which was given for you, splatters you, it washes you, it cleanses you, it cleans you, it redeems you and restores you. That cost him everything. And, And Jesus saying, you're an elect. Do you think that that God will not listen to the prayers of his elect, his chosen. He went that far to find you and draw you. Is he gonna just now not speak to you and listen to you and leave you on your own in a world where you're frightened and alone? No. No, listen to what the unjust says. But it is interesting and helpful to note that implicitly Jesus is saying, He's giving us an idea of what it's going to be like in that period before he comes back. The context is that he's coming back. The the great encouragement is, listen to this this parable and 
to reflect how much better God is than the unjust judge. But the implication is it's going to be hard. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be miscarriages of body and of justice. There's going to be pain. In fact, I doubt you need me to tell you this. You know it. Each of us know in, in the way, in the lives that we live, that there are obstacles and pain and difficulties and challenges and sufferings and griefs. And you and I both know that praying to God doesn't take them all away immediately. They're there and they're real. And maybe this morning you go, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I really know. I really know what you mean. But God loves you. And Jesus in this parable says, talk to your father. Don't give up. Keep praying to him. Keep asking him for what you need. Keep looking to him. That unjust, that widow, the most powerless category probably in her time, she didn't give up and she got what she wanted from an unrighteous judge. So don't you give up because you're going to get what you want from your father that loves you. He will not leave you unanswered. God responds to prayer. So what happens when you do pray and you don't get the answers? Does it mean that, that you've sinned or that your faith is weak? could but I tell you what it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that God is not listening when you pray and you don't get the answers that you think you want straight away it doesn't mean that God is an unjust judge sometimes we see later on and we're glad that God didn't give us the answers that we asked for you've been there you prayed for something and a few years later you go oh thank you God for not giving me that sometimes we don't but as Paul would put it in, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 1.12, he said, that is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. Because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. You can entrust these things to God even when you don't see the immediate answer, even when it seems that your prayers, the opposite is happening, I know who I have believed. I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have entrusted to him until that day. The day in which Jesus returns until that day. When you pray to your father, you entrust to him, the things that you are in your heart and mind, the things that you struggle with as well as the joys, you entrust that to him until the day when Jesus returns and this parable's conclusion, the context of it becomes reality. Well, that was point one, the, con the context. Point two, the great encouragement to pray and not give up. But Jesus ends this parable with a question. Did you notice that? Verse eight. 
He's teaching his disciples about prayer in the time until he comes back. And then he he says in verse 8, However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Why does Jesus say this? He's taught about how we should pray and, and keep praying. Then he says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find this kind of faith on the earth? It, it's a rhetorical question, isn't it? I don't think he's expecting an immediate answer from his disciples. He's, it, when you ask a rhetorical question, you don't expect an immediate answer. When I was in the army and, and working um, on operations in East Timor, my boss was a, an SAS colonel, and sometimes the chopper was, was taking off, and I was his intelligence officer, and as he was boarding the chopper, he would say, uh, you'll have a brief ready for me when I return, won't you, Captain Grills? Now, he, that, wasn't, that wasn't a question expecting an answer. It was a rhetorical question. But his point in asking that question was to basically say, you make sure you've got a brief for me when I come back. And for me, hearing that question was like, there, there was some kind of implicit warning. Captain Grills, you better make sure the brief is ready when I get back. I think Jesus is doing something similar here. He's asking a question to spur us on. Because you know, you know why he has to do this? Because prayer is not easy, at least for me. Um, some of you have no problems. You pray continuously all the day. And I, I, I'm only partly joking. Some of you here have amazing prayer lives. I know that. But for me, prayer is a struggle sometimes. It seems like everything else is more important and more pressing on my to-do list than prayer, than talking to God. There's busyness. There's distractions. The moment I start to pray, everything else looks so much more appealing no matter what it was. I can't wait to do my ironing or I can't wait to go and pull up the weeds in the garden. I hadn't wanted to into that point, but isn't that part of our experience? Prayer is difficult and we know we should pray, but it's hard. And we know only too well that our natural response is not to pray and it's to give up. Isn't that why Jesus tells the parable? If prayer was easy all the time and the moment you became a Christian, you naturally prayed throughout your life with God and you grew in faith, well, why bother to tell the parable, Jesus? Because we're already there already, but we're not. We know we're not. In fact, this is the easiest drive-by guilting that any pastor can ever get is prayer. Just go like, how's your prayer life? Could it be better? Are you praying as much as you know you could and should? It's so easy. You get everybody, like, except for a few people that know I, I pray all the time. Yeah, but most of us go straight away, it's true. You know, I don't pray as much as I should. And I don't pray with the faith that I should. And in fact, the, the synonyms for the word give up, which Jesus uses in verse one, he said, I'm telling you the parable, so you pray and don't give up. The synonyms for give up, uh, other Greek synonyms are become remiss, flag, to be indolent or slothful. And sometimes that, that is a perfect description of my prayer life. And that's why Jesus tells the parable. So we wouldn't become lazy, slothful, complacent. Um, John Calvin once wrote, is a, a theologian which had, had a huge view of God's sovereignty. He once said this, To us, nothing is promised to be expected from the Lord, which we are not also bidden to ask of him in prayers. Hear that? Nothing is promised to be expected from the Lord, which we are not also bidden to ask of him in prayers. But then listen to this. And he is inactive, as if forgetting us, when he sees us idle and mute. That's what John Calvin's saying. Prayer matters. If we give up in our prayer, 
If we become discouraged and we stop asking for the things because we don't see the immediate answers or we start to think, God, are you really answering things? Because I'm not sure if I see that right now. So we, we give up on prayer. John Calvin's point is that it seems as if God is inactive. Forgetting us. There's a massive responsibility to pray. Prayer is not something that's added on to the Christian life. It's something that's integral to the Christian life. When we pray, it not only changes situations, it changes our hearts. We become different. And sometimes that's why God doesn't answer our prayers. And we think, I wanted this and he hasn't given to me. But in the process, God's changed who you are. He hasn't changed the stuff, but he's changed you. And this is not just true for us as individuals. Uh, it's true for us as a church community, isn't it? Um, often we come um, to parables like this and to scriptures and we, we identify that a personal, it's, it's us always, sometimes we always think it's all about me, but sometimes it is in the scripture and this, this is a parable that points towards individual response, I think, but community is so often the focus of Jesus' teaching and the Bible's teaching. And so let me ask, how do we do as a church community? Uh, if churches are different in different ways, are we a church that if Jesus, if it says, when he comes back, will he find this kind of faith at City on a Hill Geelong? That's a question we should ask, isn't it? When Jesus comes back, will he find us a community who persists in prayer? A community who makes this a priority? A community that is, is not caught up in strategies and systems and maneuvers and publicity and PR and, and all these kind of things which can be useful, but at its root is grounded and established and totally dependent on prayer. That kind of believing prayer. When Jesus returns, will he find this kind of faith at City on a Hill, Geelong? It's a good question. What's the answer? I want the answer to be yes, <laughs> yes, yes. You look very uncertain. I want it to be yes, we're the kind of community that Jesus comes back and goes, that's the kind of community I want us to be. Now, I know that as with a drive-by guilting of individuals, it's very easy to do this corporately as a church too because we, of course we could pray more. Of course we could be more dependent. Of course we could be more pure and passionate in our prayers as a church community. And I think it's true that while God has, I don't think, a lot of grace for those who are lazy and indolent and can't be bothered, he has a lot of compassion and mercy for those who try and fall short. It's great hope to me. And just as it is with individuals in our prayer life, so it is with our corporate prayer. We must pray. Jesus' parable here makes it so clear we need to be like the persistent widow as a church. Because let me tell you, as a church, there are obstacles and there are injustices and there are challenges that the task is way beyond our resources. It's way beyond our natural ability to achieve it. And you can look around and say, oh, we've got lots of people, we've got three services. That's nothing compared to the resources we face. If you're a Christian here this morning, you live in a world that is desperate for the knowledge of God. You live in a world where the church itself is, is fractured, where there are, there are challenges and tensions and, and problems within every church community. We and every church need God. There's no answer in all of these other things. As helpful as they can be, the answer must be God. And so, and so as a church community, when Jesus returns, will he find that kind of faith? Let's pray that it's yes. 
And this year as we begin, and, and um, thank you Josh for sharing about that, thinking about the vision of our church. Um, our staff team has, has been away uh, over the, not for the past couple of weeks, but a period of time over the past couple of weeks. And we've been focused on, on praying, dreaming, visioning. What does it look like for our church in 2024? And we're coming to him, and I, I hope, like the persistent widow, not to an unjust judge, but to a loving father. And we're saying to him, we want to listen to you this year. Sit on a hill, Geelong, we want to listen to you. We, we want to know where you're leading us. And, and as we've prayed, we started to, to formulate some, some, some dreams, some visions, some goals, some plans. And it's my prayer that those are God-ordained goals coming from his spirit empowering us as a church community, not just us coming up with some KPIs and plans. That's not going to be enough. But what I want to lay before us this morning is, as I conclude is, it's not just a staff team. It's not just me or, or the pastor team or the, the, the movement council in that leadership role who, who, who need to pray. We need you. Your prayers. Prayers for us as a church community. Prayers for me, prayers for our leaders, prayers for this year ahead that we as a church might go where the Lord Jesus wants us to go. That we might invest our time and energy and money and resources in those places that God wants it to be. So would you pray for us? That's a rhetorical question. But a rhetorical question expecting the answer yes. So please pray for us as a church. Um, next week, it's my hope and prayer and confident belief that we'll, I'll be able to share some more articulated direction where we re really believe God is leading us and that'll cause your heart to burn and you'll be excited. But now in the next week, as we do that, I'm, I'm asking that you would please pray for us. Pray for us as a church. If you've been around our church community for a while, you'll know that we, we often have a month, some people call it fasting February or something like that. We've had, I think for the last eight or nine years as a church, we've, we've really at the start of each year in January and February, we've wanted to say, we wanna take this year seriously. We're gonna need your help. We don't know what this, this year looks like, but we're gonna need your help. We're gonna need the empowering of God, our loving Father, and we want to ask it of him as the year begins. And so um, this year, as it has been with other weeks, I'd encourage you to have a heightened week ahead of prayer and of fasting. And, and one way is what I'm going to be doing, and I invite you to enjoy me, is, is having a more focused time of prayer. So firstly, on the, this coming Monday, tomorrow, going without lunch and breakfast. Plenty of water. Medical reasons, if you have them, of course, that you, you know that's, that's different. But if you can, go without breakfast and lunch and use those times when you would normally eat to, to come before God and say, Lord, would you guide our church? Would you give power to the preaching? Would you, would you enable our worship and our music ministry? Would you send us out into the community in new and fresh ways? Would you make us a blessing that we have never been before? And then on, on the Wednesday, could you maybe go without meat? For some of you, that's very easy because you're vegan or vegetarian, but for the meat eaters, it is amongst us, that can be a challenge. Would you go without meat? And as you eat those tasty vegetables, you say, God, I'm thankful that there's more important things than meat 
want the meat of your word to just come out from our church community. On that Friday, this coming Friday, would you go without coffee and sweets? It's not a big thing, really, is it? But in those little, those little depriving of yourself to say, God, this is important. And then on that coming the Monday week tomorrow, when we have our, our monthly prayer night, would you again go without breakfast and lunch and come uh, before God during the day, but then as we gather in the evening to come before God in sustained prayer. Prayer specifically for our church and where we are heading this year. Because if it's, it's our church, it's your church. We need your prayers, your commitment. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith at sitting on a hill Geelong like this? Let that answer be yes. In all our weakness and imperfections, we're a church that depends on God, that trusts in God and steps out boldly in faith as we follow Jesus.